Okay, time for a new series, and we're going to be in the book of Thessalonians. This new series is entitled The Church Today. And over the next few weeks, we're going to talk to you about the state of the church and the mission of the church. What does the church look like in Canada today? And we need some help, don't we, in the church? People who would say, I go to church, are not always truly a part of God's church. There's lots of churches, but how many are really serving Jesus? You see the difference? You know that God only has one church, regardless of denominations or what banner you fly under. When we get to heaven, there's not going to be a Pentecostal section and a Methodist section and a Lions section and an EV Free section. And, and uh, you know, no, it's just one church, one church family. And today there's only one church. And we have different forms and different uh, ways to express our worship at times. We might have differences over minor points of doctrine. But those who live for Jesus Christ and follow his word and believe it's the inerrant word of God and know that he died, he rose again, and he's coming again, you're my brother and sister in Christ. Amen? God has a big umbrella, and we need each other today as the church. But the church needs help. And there is a mission, there is a mandate in which we are called, and we're going to talk about the church today in this fall series. And we're going to begin in the book of Thessalonians, chapter 1. You can turn to your Bibles or your Bible apps if you would like. It will be on the screen above you. But let's just pray as we get into the Word this morning. Lord, we pray now for the next several moments that you would open up our hearts and minds. Lord, help us to understand what you are speaking to us. God, we want to be the church you've called us to be and do what you've called us to do. Bless this time, encourage us and strengthen us and challenge us, we pray, and let your goodwill be done. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, 1 Thessalonians. This is what it says. Paul, Savannah, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God, the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing, look at this, your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of our God and Father. Knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God, for our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction, with joy of the Holy Spirit. Stop for a moment there. Those are two contrasting concepts. And much affliction, or you could say persecution or trouble, but with joy in the Holy Spirit. And how do you marry those two ideas? How do we be joyful in the midst of the affliction? We'll get into that in a moment so that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. For from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith toward God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything. For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. And to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. This church in Thessalonica had it going on. And I'm going to tell you, we pastored several churches. We pastored churches in both the United States and in Canada. And we've been associates and we've been lead pastors, 30 years of ministry now. 
And I can say, I think we have a great church here, and I'm excited for what God has for us. You know, give yourself a pat on the back. Say, we're okay. We're doing all right. Do we have work to do? Sure. Do we have growth? Sure. But the reality is, when you come into this place, I hope you feel warm and loved and accepted and excited in Jesus. We have a lot of great people here, and we want to see more people one for Jesus Christ. Uh, the first Sunday I came to this church, I thought, this is a neat church. That hasn't always been the case. Sometimes God called us to places where they just had a major split. They went from like 100 down to 35 people. And you walk in, and there's just this gloom of despair. And yet, God sent us to some of those places to help them move forward. The revitalization process. And that was fine, but we come into the doors here the very first time with that. There's a lot of happy people here. There's some good things happening here. And I tell you what, the church in Thessalonica, they were a strong church. And we're going to get into this. They are an example of what God has called us to be. Here's a little bit of background. Around AD 50, Paul and Silas left Philippi and traveled to the capital city of the Roman province of Macedonia, Thessalonica. Thessalonica was the capital of Macedonia. Thessalonica was a large port city of approximately 200,000 people. That was a mega city back then. It's still more than twice the size of Prince George. We're a decent-sized town, 200,000 people, right on the port, lots of importing, exporting, lots of commerce and finance flowing through that town. But it was also filled with pagan idol worshipers. It was situated right on the Aegean Sea in modern-day Greece, and they had all these idol worshipers devoted to both Greek and Roman gods. Polytheistic, meaning they believed in multiple gods. And there was lots of pagan rituals and practices. So it was a bustling city, but it was a very sinful city. And in the midst of this, Paul raised up this little house church, and he began this group of believers, and they were sitting like in the midst of modern-day Babylon, but here they were growing in the Lord. And so this is the setting. And as he left uh, Thessalonica, he wrote this letter to them. And at one point, he even sent Timothy to encourage them. But he wrote this letter to the Thessalonians while he was in Corinth. And of course, when you go to the New Testament, these are mostly letters, the Pauline epistles, right? The church in Galatia and Ephesus and uh, Colossae and Philippi. These are letters that Paul wrote to the churches once they were established to encourage them and to direct them in the things they should do. So this is one of his epistles to the church in Thessalonica. Now, as we get into this, I want to start with this. Point number one, every circumstance, we can find grace and peace through Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you this morning, in every circumstance, regardless of it's good or bad, you can find grace and peace through Jesus Christ. Paul was intentional in his opening remarks, knowing that the church in Thessalonica was living in a type of Babylon. He was intentional. What did he start with? He said, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, you don't have to be without his peace just because you're in the midst of a storm. He will give you peace in the midst of that storm. Amen? And so we want to understand that. Um, this is what is written in 2 Corinthians 12, 9. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Paul learned to dwell and to uh, draw upon the grace and the strength from the Lord. Um, sometimes circumstances are in such that we don't have that peace. 
we don't necessarily have the joy that we want. Um, anybody have weird dreams sometimes? And uh, sometimes they're peaceful and they're joyful. Sometimes there's no dreams at all. But every once in a while, I get a weird one. And the other day, we were, uh, we were watching TV in our living room here in Prince George, and it was getting kind of late, and I was getting kind of sleepy. And, and I drifted off in my recliner. I fell asleep, and they, usually it's Carrie who falls asleep before me. She doesn't get much past 8.30, and then she's out, and then we have to wake her up before bed. But this was my turn. I fell asleep, and in my dream... I dreamt that I was in a car, and I was driving on this windy road, and, uh, and it was pretty vivid, and all of a sudden, our car was about ready to fly off the road, and we were in a crash, and I, and I swerved the wheel, and I wake up, bam, and my whole recliner had fallen on its side, because I was swerving like I was in a car, and I actually shifted my body weight, and I was right on my side, and Carrie was shocked, oh, and she was all, are you okay, are you okay, and yeah, I'm fine, and Spencer was worried, and my wife was worried, but I was all good, thankfully, that recliner, that, you know, that really protects you, right, we should just live in one of those things, um, and, and you never know, I had another dream uh, some years back, and I might have shared this one, and I dreamt that I was on a beautiful countryside, it looked just gorgeous, and there was an old-fashioned wagon there, and there was hay, and they were basically, they were uh, cutting the hay, and they were putting these hay bales on the back of the wagon. And, uh, it, you know, it's like Little House of the Prairie. It's old-time farming, and it's beautiful rolling hill countryside. And I was pulling the, the hay off of the wagon, trying to take some off, and I kept yanking and yanking, and all of a sudden I wake up, ah! And I had been pulling my wife's blonde hair, thinking it was hay. Her glorious crown was bringing her down, and she shrieked as I was yanking on it in the middle of the night. So she just had to beware, folks. You never know what's going to happen. It's a crazy adventure living with me, and she knows that. Sometimes we're in these weird circumstances, but in real life, uh, we don't have peace. Sometimes in your dreams, but oftentimes in our everyday life, we don't have that peace. And where do we get peace? What does the Bible say? Philippians 4, I love it. It's one of my favorite chapters in the whole Bible. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. It says, don't be anxious for anything. Don't be afraid. Don't be anxious. But let your requests be made known to God. Have a talk with God. An old Stevie Wonder song years ago. Have a talk with God. And Jesus said, cast your cares upon me. I care for you. He promised to meet all our needs. And then it says, the peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds. It's going to fill you and flood you. But you've got to talk to God about it. Give it over to him and trust in him. Amen? Because he supplies the needs. In every circumstance, we can find his grace and peace. Now, peace provides good mental health. And again, it's obtained by choosing to thank the Lord, to trust him, to rejoice in him. And when we trust him, we don't keep striving. We said, Lord, I ask you to help. I ask you to move in this situation. You promised that you would. Now I choose to trust. And all of a sudden, oh, you can breathe again and you can rest and have the peace of the Lord. Number two, in Christ, we work in faith, labor in love, and patiently hope. I've read this scripture many, many times, but when I read it recently, this part jumped out at me. Verse 2, it says, we give thanks to God always for you all, 
making mention of you our prayers. In verse 3, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, your labor of love, and patience of hope. That right there, I could preach a whole message on that one verse. So we work in faith, we labor in love, and we patiently hope. The question is this, why do we live for Jesus and working and laboring for him? Why do we even bother? Why are we all here today? Well, because we know that God lives, that he is real, that he is coming again. There really is a heaven. There really is a reward. There really is a reason that we show up to church every Sunday instead of sleeping until the game starts, right? I'm a football fan. I love the NFL. Regular season is here, and so I'm going to be watching my favorite Seahawks uh, almost every Sunday when they're playing on Sundays. I love that, and if I wasn't a Christian, I would probably just have a a relaxed Sunday, and I'm just going to eat and sleep in, and then wake me up when the game starts. But you know what? There's more to life than football, isn't there? There's more to life than even going to work or going to school. God has a grand plan. He has a design. There really is a God who really did send his son Jesus. We see the evidence of his creation. We see what he's done in our lives, how he's changed us, how he's transformed us. We have a reason for being. We have a reason for living, and there is the hope and the promise of eternal life. I know I'm going there, and I want to take as many people as I can. That's why I'm here. That's why I serve him every day, because Jesus is on the throne. Amen? Amen. Jesus is on the throne, and he wants to use you and bless you, do great things in and through your life. So he has an eternal plan. We know that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody can get to heaven except through him. John 14, 6 tells us that. And so the Thessalonians, they didn't just believe. Yeah, we believe in Jesus, and then we're just going to sit back and relax. No, they were actively living. They were putting action to their faith. Isn't that what James chapter 1 and chapter 2 says? Be hearers and doers of the word. Faith without works is what? Dead. Faith without works is dead. I've been warned again and again of the severe winters coming to our glorious place called Prince George. And my friends that still live in the lower man, hey, it's beautiful here. It's beautiful. We're loving it. We love this place. And they just wait till the winter. And even people right away, wait till the winter. Brace yourself. Well, uh, we are bracing ourselves, and I know it's going to be bad. Just so you know, it's not our first rodeo. We, we did live out in the Kootenays where we got some heavy winters out there on the other side of the province. I actually went to school in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Those winters lasted a long time. So it's probably going to be a little worse than what we've had, but it's not like we came right up from Palm Springs, right? Uh, we've had some winters. We've had some cold. But yes, we are bracing ourselves. And when we lived in eastern Washington, and we pastored a little town called Quincy, uh, it was cold. You'd get cold winters there as well. It was much like the Okanagan, where you got hot summers and you get pretty cold winters. And, um, and so one day on a snowy morning um, i was heading out to work we lived right next to the church and i opened up the door and there was a black cat just frozen like a popsicle and i kind of scared because i opened up whoa what's this like some animals right there and i you know kind of wait a minute this thing is frozen stiff he's totally dead first thing first time i've ever seen something quite like that and um and i didn't know whose cat it was uh, you don't really know, and uh, so I did what every American does in eastern Washington. I put it in a garbage bag, and I threw it away. He said, Pastor Scott, that's so heartless. That's just what you do there. You, you, you know, you, you, can, you can bury it. 
But uh, I, I disposed of the cat in a very humane, loving way, and, and that was that. And we didn't hear anything. And, uh, and so there was about a, a several weeks later, a guy came knocking on my door. <laughs> said, hey, have you seen a cat by chance? And uh, I didn't know if it was his cat. There's lots of cats in the world. I think I kind of let him down easy. Well, I'm not sure. I, I, I'm going to be honest with you. I kind of just didn't give him the whole story. I'm going to just the true confessions right now. I didn't tell him about the frozen cat. That may or may not have been his cat. And if I was to stand before a court of law, you can't prove otherwise. We don't know whose cat that was. So, you know, but, but he came by and he said, There's, are you looking for a cat? Said, well, uh, not recently or something. I said something that was true, but not given the whole picture. And since then, God has forgiven me and, and he's cleansed my heart. But that was kind of shocking for this frozen cat. And I like animals. I have, we've had dogs. Uh, we've tried to have cats. Now, I'll tell us our cat story. As we're talking about cats, I need to share this with you just because we've had a bad experience. I grew up with both dogs and cats. How many cat people, let me see your hands, if you're a cat lover. How many dog lovers? Put your hand up. Usually the dog lovers win because it's that unconditional love. Dogs need you, cats tolerate you, right? They, 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 they'll put up with you because you feed them. But if you stop feeding them, they're down the road visiting somebody else. But uh, we've had different dogs. We had our beautiful little beagle for years and years. He finally... He got old and got very sick, and he passed away. Uh, but we love animals. But we tried a cat one time when Kara and I were newly married, and we didn't have kids yet. That's when everybody gets pets, when they don't have kids. This will be our fur baby, right? It's very exciting. And until we get our own kids, we'll have this as our kid. So we got this little cat from the Humane Society. We brought it home, and this cat, I think, was demon-possessed. There was something wrong with the cat. You couldn't touch it. You couldn't pet it. It would run away, and he would just get back behind. He would jump behind the dryer and the washer and stay there. And we'd have to, like, dig it out to so try to give him some food, give him some love, give him some water, and just kind of scratch at you and uh, didn't want to have anything to do with us and would get up back on the washer and go back behind there, and he would just stay away. We were like the plague. And we tried the love on this cat, with all the love in our hearts, until finally, after being scratched and hissed at, we thought, okay, we're going to have to give the cat back. Sorry, this cat is not working out. We want a refund. We're taking the cat back to the Humane Society. So we got the cat. Maybe they can find another home for it. And I didn't really have a proper leash for the cat, so I used a telephone cord, and I just kind of rigged that up. It worked fine. The cat was not hurt. But in the process of getting the cat out from back there and into the car, and I had to drive it back into town. This cat just attacked me, just scratched and clawed and went after me. And I finally, it's like a, this cat, I don't know if it was possessed or just really off its nut, but it was crazy. And so I finally got the cat back, returned it in, and I hope they found a home or was able to help the cat. I came back to the church office, and I walked in the door, and I looked like I'd been through a war. And my wife, who was uh, our administrator at the time, and we were working with the pastor, both her and both pastor's wives were there, and I said, this cat was horrendous. And they said, what happened? Well, it was the cat. And I lifted up my shirt with all the claw marks. And you would think I would get pity and sympathy. You know what they did? They laughed their heads off. They laughed and thought it was the funniest thing. 
No sympathy for Pastor Scott battling the cat. So after that, folks, it's just been dogs. Dogs all the way. Praise the Lord for those loving creatures that love you unconditionally and actually want to be held and want to be petted. But if you're a cat lover, we love you too. We'll pray for you, but we love you. All of this to say is that sometimes things don't go our way. They don't turn out the way that we intended. We don't anticipate battles with cats and battles with people and problems on the job and problems in your family. Unexpected things will happen in your life. How do we deal with that? And we talked about this in our series as we went through Acts and Paul on the shipwreck and how God promised that he's going to spare them. But they went through some horrendous things, a terrible storm, and basically barely escaped with their lives. But the thing is, as we labor for Jesus Christ, we choose to patiently hope, knowing that there is a reward. Do you believe that this morning? That there is a reward coming? The Bible says that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. In the New Testament, again and again, there's scripture that speak of the crown of righteousness, the crown of life, the reward for the saints. And the Thessalonians, they were putting action to their faith. Um, this labor of love, uh, have you ever heard that phrase, labor of love? It was a real labor of love. What does that really mean? Well, that means it was something hard. It was something that was difficult. But you chose to do it because you care about the person or the situation. A labor of love. And sometimes when we labor for the Lord, it's not always easy. The other day we moved a young mother and, uh, and never fails. When, when you help people move, there's usually more things than you anticipate. And the information I had over the phone was, was a little bit different than uh, once we got there. And that's okay. And, uh, but there was lots of things, and a couple of the guys from the church came and helped, and our family was there, and it took a while, but there was a big old horse trailer, and so load after load we took, and it was a labor of love, because who here enjoys moving? Let me see your hand, big and strong. Nobody! Oh, whoa, one person. Kathy, let's pray for you after the service. Bless your heart. Most of us don't enjoy moving. It's not fun. You do it because you have to do it. It's a means to an end. You got to get from point A to point B. And when you help somebody else move, that is a labor of love. And when we moved here, several of you helped us move, including Sister Kathy, and that was a labor of love because it's not really enjoyable. But you do it because you care. But it also requires something. When you choose to labor in love, um, it takes a commitment and perseverance, and a fixed purpose. When we choose to serve Jesus today, and maybe you get ridiculed, maybe you, you get put down, maybe you get passed over for a promotion because you don't go out and just get drunk every weekend with the friends at work and say, no, you know, I'm, I'm not going to do that. And they find out you're a Christian and you, they think you're kind of off. And any kind of persecution you get here, how many know that it's worth it because God sees, and he is the rewarder of those who seek him. Amen? And you know what? Any kind of persecution we get here, too, is a fraction of what Jesus went through for you and I so that we could have forgiveness and salvation. It's always worth it to serve the Lord. And so when we choose to live for him, we do it because we love him, and we're committed to the purpose, we're committed to the cause. It is worth it. It's a labor of love because we love the Lord. And we patiently endure with the hope that there is a reward one day in heaven. Finally, this morning, number three. In the power of the Holy Spirit, God's word transforms 
our lives. The Apostle Paul said this. He said, we didn't come to you just in word only, but in the power of the Holy Spirit. Hebrews 4.12 says, for the word of God is alive and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, and it cuts right to the joints and marrow. It's a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. I don't know about you, but I've been in some sermons when I've been in the congregation and somebody's preaching, and the word comes out and bam, I just get convicted. It just pierces my heart because the Lord is speaking to me, saying, Scott, you need to deal with that. It's like a two-edged sword. And it's a good thing. Holy Spirit conviction is good because it reveals the things we need to take care of and release and ask God to forgive so that we can live the right kind of life. It's a good thing. But it speaks to the heart. It's sharp and it's powerful. Here's the thing. How many believe that God is still all-powerful? Say amen. amen. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hebrews tells us that. And when we speak the word, there's power in the word. When we speak it, it's powerful. When we apply it, there's power. Think about applying, say, the principles of forgiveness and love. When you start to live that and apply that to your daily life, and you go to that family reunion where there's hurts, there's long-term division, there's dysfunction within the family, and somebody has wronged you, but you choose to forgive them even though they don't deserve it. Sounds a lot like what Jesus does for us, right? That grace is unmerited favor. And you choose to forgive them before the Lord and to let it go, all of a sudden that restoration can begin. There's power through that. And there's love and there's forgiveness. That's the word in action. When you speak the word, what did Jesus do when he was tempted by the devil for 40 days in the desert? It is written. It is written. It is written. He used the word to combat the enemy because there's power and authority through the word. Say amen if you believe that. Use the word. Live the word. Apply the word. It's powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. It's not a dead letter. It's a, a live word of God. In fact, John says this, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's Jesus. This is the embodiment of who he is and what he does. And he gave it to us as our roadmap for life. And as we follow it, it transforms us from the inside out. I hope you... Like my grandmother used to say, she would say, learn the word, love the word, and live the word. She was an old Brush Arbor preacher that pastored throughout the prairie provinces of Canada. And she would say, learn the word, love the word, and live the word. Because it's powerful and it will transform your life. It's the power of the Holy Spirit that flows through us, that uses his word to transform situations, churches, people, lives. You see, the church today, folks, to be perfectly honest, it needs help. The church today, unfortunately, some churches have embraced compromise, they've embraced sin, and they've given way to the pressures of modern society to try to be correct and try not to offend. We don't want to offend anybody. But you know what? Sometimes the word might offend people. Isn't that what Peter says? It's a stumbling block and a rock of offense. But when you stumble over it, then you recognize there's something here and you can choose what you're going to do about it. Let's not be offensive people. Let's always lead with love. Amen? Love and grace and compassion. But let's never compromise the word because it's alive and powerful and it transforms lives. It is the word of God and it never changes. If you believe that, say amen. amen. The church today, as we 
live this word and we apply it and we do it, we obey it, this church will come alive. More people will come to Christ because we're obeying what he said to go and make disciples. We're living our faith. We're shining our lights. We're living the word day by day so people will see Jesus in us and people are going to be drawn to that. You want a church that's alive, live the word. Live the word. Follow Jesus with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Our church today needs revival. That's what we're praying for. That's what we're believing for. But revival begins with us as we become on fire for God, fully sold out, fully surrendered, fully yielded to Him, and choosing to follow His Word and live it day by day, then it's going to catch on. It catches on like wildfire. Pretty soon we can't help but talk about Jesus. Amen? And people will see Him in you. And when we worship Him, when we praise Him, when we disciple people in the Word, then we go out and we live it, and we're His hands and His feet and His voice. I believe that good things are in store for this church. And not only this church, but every church in Prince George that is lifting up Jesus and proclaiming his word. Blessed are they who hunger and thirst for righteousness for what? They shall be filled. How many want to be filled up with the power of the Holy Spirit? Amen? Amen. Let's all stand this morning. Chad, if you can join us in the team. Let's pray as we bow our heads and close our eyes this morning. Let's respond to him. As Chad just begins playing quietly, I want to just pray this prayer. Before I do, I have a question for you. If you hear, you say, Pastor Scott, would you pray for me? Because I know that I haven't been that on-fire Christian that's fully sold out, that's living for Jesus with my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I want to, but I know there's been some things that have been hindering me. And I want to surrender anything that might be holding me back. I'm surrendering it today. I want to be all in for Jesus. I want to be the church that is alive, that is on fire, and that is reaching people for Christ. If you know you need to make that prayer, slip up your hand. I want to pray for you this morning. Let's get real about it. Slip it up. Amen. 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 Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate your honesty. Secondly, if you're here today and you say, Pastor Scott, pray for me because I'm, I'm not really living for Jesus. I know about him, but I'm not serving him as my Lord. Maybe you need to make that commitment. It's the most important decision you will ever make. If that's you, slip up your hand. I'd be happy to pray for you right where you stand. You can surrender your life to Jesus. Amen. Amen. I'm going to lead out in prayer and this morning, we're going to do a little bit differently. I'd like us all to repeat this prayer. And if you raise your hand, I want you to mean this from the bottom of your heart. And if you didn't, you can encourage those who did. And it can serve as a reaffirmation of your own personal commitment. But let's make this our prayer. As I lead out, please repeat after me and let's talk to the Lord. Dear Jesus, thank you for giving your life on the cross. Thank you that you rose again. I believe in you, Jesus, as God's Son. Please forgive me for my sin. Forgive me for all my mistakes. And I choose to serve you fully as my Lord. Lord, I don't want to serve you half-heartedly. I choose to serve you wholeheartedly. You lead and I'll follow. Help me to learn your word daily by spending time with you 
and then help me to apply it daily to my life. Fill me with a fresh new anointing, Jesus, by the power of your Holy Spirit. Use me for your honor and glory. Use me to stand up for you, to speak up for you, to live for you, and to shine for you, because you are coming again. And there are many who still need to know you. Give us a harvest of souls. Revive us, O Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.